Alrighty, on City Limits today, we've got a bit of a special edition since it's International Women's Day, so no Kevin today. We kicked him out. Oh, sad. If (laughs) listeners remember who that voice is. Hi, everybody. That's a very special ex-host from City Limits, Meg Kimbo, who's joining us for the special day. I feel like you guys need a little applause um, sound. Sound um, sound effect. We can whack a really lacklustre one in. <laughs> yeah, like someone doing a slow clap. <laughs> uh, that brought back some lovely memories of my many years hearing the um, hearing the City Limits intro through my headphones. It was lovely. The acres and acres of tar and, and cement. cement. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much to you both for inviting me to come back on. Thank you, Meg. Yeah. Um, and just for listeners, uh, I'm Karina and Zeb is pressing buttons today on the panel. Bloop, bloop, bloop. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this is a pre-record. <laughs> so that just means we won't really be discussing any breaking news. Um, but we've got some good stuff lined up today. Um, first up, we've got Meg doing her rock star interview. <laughs> I so yeah when um Karina and Zeb got in touch and asked me if I wanted to come back on and whether you were around and what are you even doing, doing nowadays yeah. yeah yeah um I I had noticed that so just quite recently in January the federal government put out this um new uh policy it's called Revive and it's res- it's like a response to the situation that's been happening in the creative industries of Australia and yeah so I was like why don't we do a little something on that and in keeping with the philosophy of 3CR I thought it would be cool to speak to someone really on the ground um, and talk about some of the opportunities and challenges of working in these kind of industries mm. and yeah well what uh, people are experiencing yeah looking at it especially from a perspective of um, women's experience for International Women's Day. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll be chatting with Juliana Vieira. Vieira later in the show, or Juvie, as yeah. she likes to be called. Um, and then after that, we've also got an interview lined up with Catherine Murdoch and. Yeah, so after that, I'll be having a chat with uh, regular housing show guest Catherine Murdoch, along with Sara Stilianos, who's a steering group member with the Homes Not Prisons campaign about housing and about prisons specifically from the perspective of women. And yeah, I also really wanted to note that as we are pre-recording, because Zeb selfishly is leaving the country to go for six weeks. How selfish of you to leave us behind. <laughs> Sorry, I've got to step into Kevin's shoes. I've got to do it. Um, yeah, I see what you're up to. Yeah. We are pre-recording and I did want to say because it's 5 or 6 p.m., we certainly will not be pouring tea. Oh, my gosh. I Yeah, well, we should have run and got a teapot. I'm not going to pander. And on that, while Kevin's away, I know pesky old Kevin hates CEOs, but seeing as it's International Women's Day today, and this is a special broadcast, I thought we should just give kudos to those great Australian women who are getting what they deserve to the Gina Reinhardt's of the world. Oh, no. <laughs> oh my God. You have You're been really Kevin getting it long. done. You're really getting it done. Um, making that money. <laughs> Thank you, Kiri. <laughs> no, that no, is an me, absolute joke. Makes me feel like Kevin's here. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to take that as a compliment, but thanks. I have to say, I forgot to say at the top of the show, all opinions that I express are my own personal opinions and not of any place that I work or volunteer. So I just want to put that out there as well. Oh, well, I'm out here spouting some yeah. opinions. No, <laughs> that's great. Thank you, Meg. Speaking of, of employment and work and, yeah, no. not the CEO anywhere, but, um, yeah. We did want to say this is a day that often gets taken um, by companies and workplaces as like, a, oh, the, you know, there's all the all the great, women who are getting their bank, who are making money, who are doing the thing. It's no, Mm. this is for all women and all women includes working women, migrant women and women affected also by other areas of marginalisation 
in society, especially because we're all together. Mm. We are all together, you know, the actual meaning of the day. Absolutely. And especially like looking at structural uh, barriers, like we were talking before the show about um, this focus on the individual, which is so neoliberal and capital sort of tied up with capitalism of like well, your individual success or failure is just like whether you tried hard enough and um, that, you know, does not accept all the kind of structural barriers that exist. And then like even once people are in, you know, in certain industries, like we're talking about the music industry later, you know, the additional challenges that can come from actually the circumstances of those industries, like the insecurity of employment and things like that. Mm. And on that as well, just thinking about um, something that's come up for me a lot recently, Um, for people who are multiply marginalised, including not just women but also non-binary and and other trans folk as well, um, they're not spokespeople. No individual is a spokesperson. Uh, you know, it's important to be able to speak to people on the ground, but it's also really important to respect individuals. Yeah, totally. And also, like, no group is a monolith. And if you mm. just talk to, like, one person from that group, you can't expect their experience to be the experience of of whatever group of people you're thinking about either. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that's not to say we're not all under the boot. Except for Gina Reinhardt. Except for <laughs> um, So before we head into the actual interview with Juvie, Meg, do you want to just give us a bit of a background of um, this particular federal funding program and maybe also like, you know, um, why this is important, what's, what's historically been the case for funding in the arts? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Seb. Um, so the federal government made this uh, policy and they've called it Revive, um, They had input from a lot of different places, including artists in the industry, but also like who you would kind of typically expect, quote unquote, leaders in the industry. So um, it looks pretty solid and has some really interesting ideas. And if some of them, if they could be achieved, would be amazing. Um, As an overall summary, they're investing $286 million in dedicated funding over four years and they're creating a new body because it's called creative Australia. And I, th- from what I gather, this is a little bit different to, um, uh, what is the thing called now? Australian council for the arts, I think. So I, I'm not sure if it's replacing it or a separate body, but, um, I think it might be re- replacing it or an evolution of it. Anyway. Um, so Creative Australia will have some sort of sub-bodies and um, so within Creative Australia there'll be four other groups. There's a First Nations-led body that is designed to give First Nations people control over decisions and investments of money. So that's really important because um, First Nations art, especially visual arts, is a huge industry and you don't always see that money actually coming back to the artist, especially in visual arts where once someone has bought a painting and then they sell it on however many times, the artists themselves, sometimes these artists are living in near to poverty even though they're really well-established artists and that's because of the way that that industry works. And then another body will be Music Australia um, and another one is Writers Australia and, a, and the other one is a Centre for Arts and Entertainment Workplaces, which is I think is really interesting, which is basically like an employment law support service for people who work in the industry to make sure they're paid correctly and that they have safe workplaces. So that's a huge one and that ties in, you know, with the work that unions have been doing for so long to support and give information to people in their workplaces to make sure that they're safe at work and they're getting paid, they have the right pay and conditions. So, yeah, they're the four um, four bodies that we're looking at. Um, yeah, that's probably enough of a summary, I'd say. If you, yeah. yeah. I was just going to say as well um, a little bit of context that I kind of looked up before the show. Um, so, firstly... To put this like two hundred and I think it's two hundred and eighty six million dollars mm. over the next four years um, into a bit of context, the policy announcement values the creative arts industry at seventeen billion dollars. 
Um, and there was a little thing I found from the Australia Institute, um, a report from 2020, that the creative and performing arts employ four times as many people as coal mining <laughs> and as many as the finance industry. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I just thought that was like a good stat to oh, to think about. <laughs> such a good stat because the, it's so weird to me that there's such a pervasive cultural narrative about the arts being um like impossible to get a job in that industry it's not true it's it's there's lots of jobs but there's a heap of job insecurity and that's not the fault of the people in the industry that is the fault of like structural problems with that industry and and expecting people to work for free or work overtime unpaid, or work overtime without extra pay, and all these kind of conditions. Or have multiple skills as well, you know, musicians becoming um, audio engineers who, you know, they don't have a lighting person, so they're expected to do lights as well, and, yeah, you know, it can, it can be competitive whilst at the same time being completely underpaid and ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Amazingly, yes. Mm. Yeah. Before we go into this interview that um, Meg and Zeb did with Juvi, aka uh, Yellow Beanie, about the music industry, I did want to say that Meg, you yourself are a musician, and Meg's brought in some music for us to play today. Can you um, give listeners a rundown on what song we will be playing? Um, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can pick a song, but yeah, I have been, I thank you. I am a musician and, um, have been working on doing some recording and, uh, it's a very long and slow <laughs> process <laughs> and self, self-funded as well. So, um, of yeah, course. yeah, of course, <laughs> how <yeah>. surprising, <laughs> but yeah, really, um, has been beautiful to see the industry opening back up again and people playing music again with each other and, um, yeah, very, happy and excited to share my music and don't, not sure which song at the moment but pick one from the ones that are there and if people wanted to find your music somewhere probably best on my instagram at mira kimber uh m-i-r-a-k-i-m-b-e-r mostly it's pictures of uh, the corn that i grow the heirloom corn that i grow but occasionally i put information about music there. well you've got to set the scene right <laughs> <laughs> just like two interesting yeah, areas of of, my, of interest, really. <laughs> Thank yeah, you so much. Yeah, I want to see this coin. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty nice. Now, this track is called Reborn by none other than ex-City Limits host Megan Kimber. I used to think he must have been crazy Used to think he must have lost the plot Guess I liked it better when he was writing his long letters Before he started singing about God More of that bad attitude All the things he said he'd do Well, not at all like me or you And a lot more like folk it was more than just a tune Sung out on the avenue Well the music seemed to break me Now I haven't got a hope Cause even rain on my arms now Is like a symphony Now I've been reborn Like Bobby Dean I've learned my lesson, Lord, I've learned it hard and good As long as I'm alive, I'll never tell another lie I'll never value what I'm doing Less than what I should And I'll judge nobody For the only judge is truth And I'll bear no ill For what went before and I'll hold no fear for what the future has in store Cause my body like Manhattan An island in the sea 
But I don't feel so alone now. I've been reborn like Bobby Dean. Bought my ticket, got my ticket for the show. I don't no idea what's coming up next, but I'm here in the front row, and I see him moving mountains, and I see him singing songs. No, they're so pretty, but I know what road he's on. 'Cause when you sing like that, or when you pray like that. Gotta be praying. God gives you a strong back and a wide-brimmed hat. 'Cause I don't care anymore about the things that I don't know. And I rest my head back and I just enjoy the show. 'Cause I know who He's singing for, and I know it isn't me. He's singing for who you sing when you've been reborn. Great. Well, we're here in the studio, and、um, we have our very generous guest Juliana Vieira, who is、um, coming to talk to us today about some of the realities of working in the music industry、um, in Melbourne, specifically.、Um, Juliana is a sound technician across a range of jobs, which we'll hear more about that. And also a musician and、um, a friend of mine. So thank you so much.、Uh, I I call Juliana Juvie. So if you hear the name Juvie, that's I am talking to Juliana. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Yes, please call me Juvie or Yellow Beanie. It's how people know me here in Melbourne as well. Probably you saw me riding my bike, wearing my yellow beanie. <laughs> so yes, I'm Juvie, also known as Yellow Beanie, <laughs> or behind the sound desk at many places. Oh my god! <laughs> Should give、it. us a quick rundown of like where you work and what your employment situation is like. Oh yeah. yeah. So first things first, right? It was a very hard moments during COVID, but then、uh, when COVID stopped, you know. It never stopped, but、mm. let's say when things got better, I said to myself, "I need to get a job in my area, otherwise I'll be unhappy," which I was unhappy in Brazil. So, I made the decision to quit my job.、Mm. <laughs> Congratulations! <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> and you know, like start working mainly as a freelance sound engineer, and then that's when things started to happen. So I'm very glad that I <laughs> did that. Yeah, yeah, it's. Definitely been a difficult time for the arts, and that's one of the reasons that we're having this chat today.、Um, the Labor government, the federal government, they put out this、uh, press release in January talking about this new national cultural policy, which is called Revive.、Um, it's a huge amount of funding; it's hundreds of millions over four years.、Um, So this funding is is has all these goals attached to it about how it's going to make a difference in the music industry uh, and uh, other cultural like creative industries.、Uh, have you heard about it, Juvie? Not specifically specifically about this one, but like、um, I don't know if you know Crew Care. So Crew Care they got a grant from Creative Victoria, which they helped twenty students in the. State of Victoria to get like、uh, training in the industry, the music industry, and I was one of the twenty, <laughs> and I'm very grateful to that because you know they they sent us to real places, real life, was where we could see lighting companies, audio companies,、uh, like. People that are going on tour with those companies, and we saw everything behind the scenes, and we learned from those people,、uh, which skills we we need to get, you know, to get our feet in the industry. And part of the program after we finished that, that because it was a ten day, ten day scholarship,、mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we had to pick a place to do our placement, <laughs> and Crew Care because they got this grant from Creative Victoria. 
uh, it was a paid Okay. Scholarship, so, yeah. and then let's go back to the question that you did before my workplaces. <laughs> I'm a very busy person, but it's because in the industry you're gonna realize you don't have one job. You have like as much as you can, and then you work around them to make sure you have like a full time thing. You know, mm -hmm. it's not that I work for one place, but I work for lots of places. One, one of course is my main one which is the one that I do live sound. It's in Collingwood, the jam bar. And then, but I do also bump ins and bump outs for Melbourne Recital, Meat Market. And I started today, mm. <laughs> a maintenance technician position at Bakehouse Studio. So mm. <laughs> I'm very grateful to everything that it's happening. And like I said before, you need to be just, you know, like it's hard, but make the decision and go towards your dream and, Well, that's the thing. Like, yeah, thank you for that. Like the, what you were saying before about like knowing about lighting, knowing about all the jobs in the industry. I think that's one of the things that culturally there's an idea like there's no jobs in quote unquote creative industries. And what the reality in the ground is, is that there's so many jobs, right? Mm -hmm, so many. But what, the, what people face is a lot of insecurity. Mm -hmm. So why, you know, the question is why should people who are creative, who work in creative industries have to um, face this insecurity all the time on their own? Mm -hmm. Why aren't there more uh, resources to support people to have secure work, right? I think that's why I'm very grateful to Crew Care mm. because as their name is, they care, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and they look after the students, the crew, and it's, it's amazing. And it's good to see that you have people that are trying to change that, mentality toxic mentality let's say where mm. people use work 14 16 hours no breaks and like in not good work conditions and then covid came mm. so hey i need to have a balance you know uh good work hours and a break to have lunch mm. to breathe you know like to stretch because yeah it's a very mental handling job in the industry and They also realize because lots of people, they quit. Mm. They need to train new people. And like I would say if you accept an advice, just be open to do things that you never imagined that you would do. And don't think, oh, I did a course. I'm going to be mixing festivals. No, stop. <laughs> come on. Start. Just start. You know, be open to do bumpings, uh, to learn on the go, to do patchings, you know. We need to go from the start, let's say. And then, of course, I wish you all the best. You're going to be mixing a festival, of course. <laughs> But remember, we all start somehow, some mm. way. And mm. I think that's what the industry needs, people that uh, are willing to learn from the, you know, the start. <laughs> mm. And you mentioned mental health. Uh, support actor have been very forward on this mental health resources for the music industry. Do you know anyone who sort of used it or do you hear about it talked about in while you're I working? Saw, I saw people talking about it and on Facebook I saw some events, mm. uh, but I never, uh, I don't know, maybe I should look after <laughs> it as well. <laughs> and then even Crew Care, they do have like first aid uh, for people that are interested in it's like first aid focus on mental health yeah so yeah yeah i think every workplace after covid right started to have a new recognition of how much your workplaces affect your psychological health and that employers have a responsibility to look after the um mental health of their employees just like they have to look after the physical health of their employees exactly right? yeah. and it's a cultural thing i think if we now that we went through covid and if we think oh my god i need to prioritize family time me time you know mm. me <laughs> and other stuff you know like just nothing do nothing it's important and we need to remember this is not being lazy it's just focusing on your mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and to continue on the kind of COVID vein, which I know is not the easiest subject to talk about always, um, but I, I feel like the arts has been one of the hardest hit sectors from COVID and it's also um, 
where people are slightly more vulnerable than other industries where people can work from home or, you know, work in an office and only see the same people every day. Whereas if you're performing, then you're potentially in rooms full of like hundreds of different people each night. Um, So can you see like, have you seen any efforts to make changes around um, how to deal with that? Or can you see like any solutions that extra funding could bring? Extra funding. Mm. I would say as someone that works in the industry, if if you, you know, like, but it's not just for our industry, it's any industry related. If you, if, if you care about the other person, you're going to wear a mask if you're feeling unwell or you're going to test yourself, you know. Mm. Uh, but funding related... Uh, it's hard because, for example, as a musician as well, we did have some gigs canceled. And yes, no one is paying that. But at the same time, because this is a side job, I hope one day is a full-time job. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's so hard. And I do understand the funding, but like, uh, I'm thinking the musicians that I've mixed that had their, to cancel their gigs and they didn't get paid. But like, I'm thinking how... Will the f- but more money help them? Help but it's them. a good question. You know, yeah. so it's kind. Of, I got like confused. So sorry. Well, no, oh, I think no, that's, that's very like, valid. Yeah, yeah. And that's sort of what we're talking about. Is because like it's one thing for a government to say like I'm going to put four hundred million dollars or whatever. I think it's two hundred million over four years, right? Um, I'm going to put we're going to put all this money in the industry, but then what does that actually look like? Is is it is it going to filter down to artists? Is it going to filter down to people who do work like you do, like sound technicians? Is it going to venues? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's true because, for example, when it comes to venues, uh, for example, when the government, people are trying to get like 250 minimum pay for musicians mm. and it's 250 per musician. And if you think about it, it's like it's literally the minimum <laughs> because we have so much work behind the scenes to go there and perform a 45-minute set. And what people sometimes they don't understand is we need to be there to bump in, to set up, sound check, and wait. Yeah. And then sometimes we are playing just at 11 p.m., but we need to be at the venue at 3 p.m. So, yeah. You know, of course, not all the venues. Some venues we barely have time to sound check, <laughs> <laughs> which is most of the venues you just come like one hour before doors and then you do everything. But again, even though if you do one hour before doors, if doors is eight and then you need to be there seven and you play only 11, it's the amount of hours that you're there. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, five hours, and then you're gonna pay me what ten dollars? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is this this is not even paying my transport? <laughs> <laughs> and then, so who is responsible for your like safety on the job um, when you're moving around each time? It's the venue, right? Uh no. When you're moving around, because you are like um, let's say as a band, you are a business partnership. So the bands now they what are what some venues are asking they're asking bands to provide their own insurance liability. Ooh. Ooh, which wow. is you know very hard. For example, I'm not gonna mention names, but another venue that we played last month. Oh, I have a band, the Institute for Good Girls. Check us. <laughs> <laughs> so we played at this venue, and then on their worksheet was saying if we break something, they will find us like if they don't find who who broke we will be responsible for that but then my question is don't they need to have a liability insurance for the venue so why they're asking musicians to pay and you know like usually they ask us to charge tickets on the door and then we get an amount from the door and then it's like insane hey (laughs) yeah and who would say that i broke that equipment but who knows if it was broken before me and they said it was me. Mm. So mm. it's a very hard like thing to to go through, you know. So who is responsible? Yeah. Yeah. And then who is responsible for like, you know, say you were a 
performer but you had like some vulnerabilities with your health and you wanted your audience to wear masks like I would imagine that venues could turn you away if they were like we don't want to make our guests Mm -hmm. wear masks or something like that I think some venues they are very um responsible and then they value what they're not just the artists but like uh the the well-being of their staff Mm. and I'm very proud of this venue that I work because they are the ones that if I say um I don't know a band was very unkind (laughs) can I say unkind to me (laughs) they they always look after me to make sure I'm well you know so if I feel not safe yeah, this venue specifically, they they always like work towards to make sure staff are well. Mm. But as musicians, I I haven't seen any on stage asking people to wear masks. Mm. You know, I think they do have the responsibility, yes. But sometimes I think if they are okay, they just go and play. Mm. So maybe even my band, I don't know. Maybe last year was last time we played. Uh, show using masks so it's kind of what should we do should we always be wearing masks now or it's hard yeah it's a difficult one um it's international women's day you're listening to city limits our guest today is juliana vieira (laughs) (laughs) juvie or yellow beanie um she's a sound technician she's on the ground in the industry, we're talking about funding for um, creative industries and music. And uh, Juvie, you work five jobs, right? Oh my god! Right? Did I say five? You yes, said, probably is if you count the band six. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, you're very passionate about the rights of women and non-binary yes. uh, people in in general and um we're looking today specifically you know for international women's day about women's experiences in in this industry um one of the short-term priorities for the new funding is gender equity in in commissioning programming and grant making um but i think we can go a lot further than that in terms of like making sure that women and non-binary and trans folks are safe at work Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on that I do think some venues they are trying to bring more diversity into into their spaces because uh some people that message me <laughs> it's weird sometimes but well they're trying you know they they say oh hey we have a lineup that it's only boy bands and <laughs> we need a sound girl <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Are you available? <laughs> uh, you know, so it's it's kind of they're trying. I can see they're trying, but like uh, my thoughts, <laughs> it's like if you if you wanna ask someone, just don't say that. You know, we wanna be hired because of our hard work, oh, or because someone recommended us, not just because it's like you need ah woman or a non-binary person in your venue, you know. Uh, I see some lineups, they are changing. I would say we need more <laughs> black people, you know, like we need more Aboriginal people on the lineup and bring more, uh, to, you know, to represent their culture, not just, you know, like it's hard, but it's possible. Mm. Maybe it's hard because people sometimes they, they think it's hard, but let's look around how many friends do we have? Let's ask them. Hey, are you keen to play? I don't know. Did I answer your question? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Did you have any other questions? Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I want to say thanks to a group of people. I'm not going to mention their names or the name of the group because <laughs> no one knows us. But like, uh, it's a group of women and non-binary people that help each other in the live music scene. And I'm very grateful to them because in this group, it was when I got my first uh, freelance sound engineer job. And I think that's so powerful. Mm-hmm. We need to help each other. We need to hold our hands and, and just go together and make this a better industry for everyone. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Juvie. That's a positive uh, note to finish up on. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks Juliana for Vieta. having me. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay, um, we're going to move on to our interview with Catherine Murdoch. Um, but 
Meg has to go, sadly. I'm going to be crying. It's going to be hard. To <laughs> the audio is going to be terrible for the rest of the show because I'm going to be so sad. No. Um, <laughs> but really, thanks so much, Meg, for coming back on the show. We missed you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all the best with your musical career. Thank you so much. Um, so good to be here. Um, I'm so pleased that Juvie could come in. It was so nice to see you guys. Um, uh, see you next See you next year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're listening to 3CR's International Women's Day special broadcast. Okay, back on City Limits, my name's Karina. Uh, This is our International Women's Day special. Uh, We're here on 3CR featuring only the voices of women and gender non-conforming people for a full 24 hours this March 8th. Pleased to say that here in the studio I have... Regular housing commentator Catherine Murdoch, uh, public housing tenant, advocate and activist. And on the phone I have Sarah, who has been involved in the campaign with Homes Not Prisons as a steering group member. Um, Welcome to you both. Thank you and thanks for inviting me and giving me the chance to speak today. Um, It's a real honour to come together as women and to ensure that people's voices are heard. Thank you for inviting me into this space. Um, I felt passionate about the fact that it's for International Women's Day and, you know, speaking to the harms that women face. Absolutely. And I think, so Catherine usually does come on for our housing show, but something I wanted to mention at the top of this interview as well is that there are actually lots of intersecting issues uh, lots of systemic injustices that we face that continue to disproportionately affect women. So rather than simply talking about housing issues today, we had a few different things. Uh, that being said, I know one of the things you wanted to talk about, Catherine, was uh, the issue of homelessness for women uh, and specifically for older women. Yeah, absolutely, because... Older women are still the fastest growing group experiencing homelessness and I think it's just making a real statement about the value of women in society and political parties' concerns with economics and with budgets and forecasts and inflation that absolutely dehumanises and devalues what women contribute in family circles, in their communities, in the workforce and how their basic human rights are being absolutely ignored. That's right. And I know one of the things that you had brought up as well was uh, a documentary actually that's on ABC at the moment. Yeah, it's called Undercover. So it's about the hidden faces of homelessness Because a lot of the women who are experiencing homelessness aren't seen. They're living away from the main streets. They're in quieter areas. They've got reasons for not being seen. They um, don't feel safe. They might have experienced domestic violence and they're trying to to survive. Um, So it's a shortened version of a documentary that was put together it's for an hour and it's it really breaks the myth behind um, why women come to experience homelessness so it's a very diverse group of women um, shines a light on the reality of how someone can so quickly transition from being secure, financially stable to experiencing homelessness with no support, breakdown of relationships and then taking to living in their cars, being on the road to try and survive. Uh, It's very powerful and it really highlights the flaws in society, the injustice and economic fragility in today's modern world, which is driven by capitalism. Absolutely. And it's not something necessarily that just affects older women, but it is really important to kind of shine a light on those individual stories to break down the stigma Mm. around not having a roof over your head. Um, Sarah, did you have anything you wanted to talk about in terms of your experience, both with 
uh, campaigning with Homes Not Prisons or outside of it um, in regards to this? Uh, my experience outside of the Homes Not Prisons campaign, though, in, as a lived experience person of homelessness, myself, recurring homelessness for over 15 years um, with you know extensive experience in various situations of homelessness and what that looks like. Um, I have lived in my car... I have lived on the street, I have couch surfed and have, um, you know, slept in rough places and spaces and also been, you know, sexually abused and re-traumatised due to housing insecurity for a long time, you know, as well as, you know, being homeless by running away from the foster care system and also being incarcerated due to being homeless and having no no fixed address to be released to. So I've got a long history of layers of, recurring homelessness and how that's impacted me and kept me very much in disadvantaged and uh, re-traumatised situations. Mm. And I think these these issues need to be raised on a day like International Women's Day as well where some of those things are very specific experiences to women. There are also the general issues, for example, of accessing services, accessing healthcare accessing all sorts of assistances or or supports or networks or communities but also those that are very like specific to women like period poverty or all those domestic violence situations or having children for example yeah i can speak to all that as well in regards to the fact of having you know homelessness was also a contributing factor to me not being able to you know, support my own children or raise my children. I was never able to provide, you know, safe, adequate and stable housing for them. So I was never able to raise my own children as well as, you know, finding myself in relationships that were violent. And again, as I stated earlier, like around, you know, women to have a roof over their head, find themselves in further traumatising and um, unsafe situations, particularly around being sexually abused due to the nature of, you know, not having a roof over your head, though finding ways and, and means to try to have a roof over your head for a night or something which then, you know, a lot of the time men will open up their homes. So in that, you find yourself in situations that are unsafe and mm. cause more harm. One of the things that Catherine and I were discussing before the show as well is the intense criminalisation mm. of homelessness where we're seeing what was it, an 85% increase in women being incarcerated in the past 10 years, with one-third of those being Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. Um, Kind of what I was referring to at the start of the show as well, none of these issues exist in isolation. And part of breaking down that stigma around housing insecurity is also breaking down the stigma around incarceration. Um, Did you want to talk a little bit about that, Catherine? I think that's just absolutely key, that housing is the number one issue and one in three people that go into prison are homeless and they're homeless when they come out. And as you've discussed, you know, you can't be released unless you've got a permanent address. Mm. You need um, housing to be able to engage with any services or support systems that are going to change what you're experiencing and yeah, 70 to 90% of women who are incarcerated have been physically, sexually or emotionally abused as children or adults. So it's the re-traumatisation and, you know, a really big thing about speaking today is about if we don't change things and support our sisters who are still experiencing this, we're morally accountable you know, we're morally accountable for that, but also for future generations, you know, and for continuing or preventing the continuation of the cycles that impact on the next generation and the generation after that. I think it also brings up the key issue around safety. Um, And as you would know, Sarah, you know, once you've experienced your safety being violated on so many different levels, anything can re-trigger that very easily. 
Um, and it's not rational, but it's an automatic defense mechanism to try and prevent you from experiencing it again. Um, so I was saying, for example, the other day I got a letter from the Department of Family, Housing and Fairness saying they were going to be doing an inspection, etc. So my rational mind doesn't speak and the wording of the documentation and the way they engage in their communications with you immediately threatens your safety, fear of eviction, unnecessary worry when there's there's nothing to support that. It's just re-triggering. And a lot of the reason why women don't speak up in community housing, in rooming houses, is because they fear they're going to lose the housing that they've actually got. Um, and it, it makes people lose their power to voice, to speak about their needs and to move forward with what they need to do to change their situation. I completely agree, Catherine. Um, you know, as you were speaking, I was reflecting on, you know, my own situation and, um, you know, being responsible for the first time in my life for the last almost four years in my own rental property, mm. you know, which was a challenge in itself to get, though it was a matter and a case of not what you know but who you know that allowed me to have the opportunity to have a rental property in my name where at the end of the day the responsibility and accountability falls on me now, not on, you know, being in a domestic violent relationship where my housing is always up in the air, you know, and, and other reasons and situations that put my housing at risk. So, you know, being... Here, like, I have been constantly on edge about, like, you know, making sure that my rent is paid. I pay it fortnightly to ensure that, you know, I'm always up to date and I can't be evicted or, you know, the fear around, you know, when there are inspections or, you know, I had to put it in a pet request because when I did have a pet, I didn't want to be evicted. And also, you know, just certain things that come up that I get worried about because if I don't have this house, I worry that, you know, obviously I'll be homeless again because out of here I have nowhere else to go. Mm. And another thing is around the fact that, um, you know, when I was in a relationship, not wanting to move in with somebody because I didn't want my housing to be impacted or affected if things did not work out. And those kind of things are always thinking in advance to make sure that I'm not going to find myself homeless again out of here. Mm. So, you know, and that's always something that's a constant in my life. And, you know, as I, when I was incarcerated, like the only reason... I did get bail eventually was because I had a residential living rehab to go to that became my primary fixed address. Yeah. But out of there, I was also homeless again. So mm. I had to ensure that by being on bail there, even though there was a lot of risk that was happening there due to the nature of the rehab itself, I still had to make sure that I, again, was really trying to keep myself, you know, that roof over my head because that was where I was bailed to and I didn't want to end up back incarcerated because if I did not have that rehab to go to, then I would be back in jail. Mm. And, yeah, so it's, it's constantly in the back of my mind. It has been forever, like, about the housing situation since I was 14, 15 years old when I started to really endure the impacts and the start of my recaring homelessness, homeless journey. Yeah. And, yeah. Thanks for that. It's, it's such an important thing to note as well, like, the way, like you mentioned, Catherine, the way that you're spoken to by supposedly support services from the government, even when you've done nothing wrong, like thinking about the way that Centrelink managed their communications. Um, I had a recent one with a friend of mine who just got into a social housing place. Uh, They miscalculated her rent and sent her an eviction notice and only through her own, uh, I'm not sure how to say it, like uh, the way that she understands how to navigate the bureaucratic systems and her experience and her support. You know, my auntie works in the housing field, so she got a bunch of support with that. Had she not had that, she wouldn't have known how to go and approach them and to stand up for herself and to do anything like that. I know that with Homes Not Prisons, a lot of their campaigning is also very specifically to do with the fact that it shouldn't be on the individual. The Victorian government spends the least out of any state or territory on public housing, and yet is obsessed with the prisons. Um, I know you had a couple more points about prisons, some expansions, Catherine, that you'd like to talk about today as well. Well, what really horrifies me is this 
absolute determination by the Labor government to incarcerate people and the amount of money that they spend on expanding prisons or building new prisons um, instead of providing or investing in public housing. You know, for example, the Cherry Creek Prison was purpose-built for juveniles just out of Werribee, and that was completed last year in August. Now, the government champions the creation of jobs um, in construction, how many beds it's going to provide, 140 beds it's called, and they invest $419 million. You know, we've got to really put a lens of perspective on this and know that there are children being incarcerated as young as 10 years old, you know, from a, a female perspective that women will be strip-searched by men and they may be in full riot gear, there may be other male prison guards um, observing. I just, you can't, you can't continue to incarcerate and criminalise and demonise people. You need support systems, you need communities, you need housing. Um, And we know that it just perpetuates cycles, cycles of incarceration and horrific trauma, especially given how many of those people have cognitive um, disabilities, you know, the fact that they've experienced significant trauma. And like in the example of Dame Phyllis Frost, the proposed expansion, the government champions that they're going to um, have resources available for these people and that it's okay to incarcerate children with their mums. Why can't those women and children be given a place in the community that's safe and stable and be supported? There's got to be other alternatives. Sarah, did you have anything to add to that one? Um, yeah, I 100% agree with everything that Catherine was just saying. I'm also thinking about the fact that, like, at the end of the day, prisons are not a home. They're not a solution. They can't be used to house people or as a roof over someone's head. They are re-traumatising and they cause and inflict a lot more harm, you know, and it has a ripple effect on the wider communities that they're part of as well as their children. And, you know, women are, as well as First Nations mob, as we know, but, like, women are disproportionately impacted, you know, by the system that we have and being criminalised and and further implications and further intersections of homelessness, um, child removal, substance use, Mm -hmm. um, undiagnosed or misdiagnosed and underlying mental health challenges. You know, there family violence. There is a gamut of things that are keeping women stuck and isolated and, and trapped under these systems. And I find that the Cherry Creek situation as well, like building Cherry Creek and then trying to, like, advertise and announce how positive it is because of the job creation, like, that that is disgusting. And, you know, when I learned about that, it made me feel, like, sick to my stomach. Like, mm. that this is, this is being highlighted and, you know, paraded around as if it's a positive thing at the at the expense of children's lives and, and their families' lives. Like, you know, it's the same thing with women. Like, you can't and you know, you know can't say that prison is a home and a lot of people get sent to prison because of the fact that they don't have an adequate roof over their head and, you know, and stable housing, though the government isn't providing stable housing out in community, like public housing that's the most affordable and effective and, and lifelong, long-term housing solution. You know, it's not being provided or, you know, there's an extensive 20-year wait list. Like, that's disturbing and disgusting. Like, housing is, as we know, a necessity and it is a need and a human right. It shouldn't be, you know, a privilege to have a house. Like, Mm. it it makes me really upset to to see that we have such a really privileged and capitalist society, you know, that focuses only on wealth, you know, instead of, human rights and human needs it makes me really um yeah it breaks my heart that this is the society that we have and you know the more that i learn about the actual feeling that it feels like it's actually set up and designed this way like it's not by mistake it's actually set up and designed this way it 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 really infuriates me that this is the system that we have and how you know, people are out there dying, people are out there losing their lives, people are in really unsafe situations, people are losing their children, people are losing, 
you know, their sense of humanity and, and themselves because we have a really controlling patriarchal system. Mm. Yeah. That's right. I think that's a really important point that we also would like to highlight on this show as well because mm-hmm. I know most 3CR listeners might be aware of these these things. It's really important to get the, the lived perspective and experience and thoughts from people who see this stuff happen on the ground and can connect that to policies as well. And I just really wanted to mention that that championing of job creation, That's it is, it's deplorable, it's disgusting. It's no mistake. That's the thing. That's that's what yeah. the system is designed to do. It relies on the dehumanisation of people and that's why there is a media narrative around criminalising these kind of spaces or these experiences because then it justifies that money-making endeavour. And I think that's um, just something that really needs to explicitly be said. Um, we've only got a couple of minutes left. Was there anything else you'd like was to just, add really quickly? Catherine? I was just going to say it's it's holding those government, um, it's holding the governments and the other bodies that operate with governments in partnership. They're actually the perpetrators mm. and they have to be held accountable for what they're not doing and for the damaging actions that they are taking. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Thank you. And it's all under the guise of keeping communities safe. No one's yep. safe. Yeah. And that's why we've got to keep on fighting and keep on being involved in community campaigns and keep on having conversations with people. Um, if there was any events coming up or any links either of you would like to share before we finish off today, feel free to share them. I know that Geelong Housing Action Group are having an in-face, in-person meeting at Trades Hall Thursday and that is at 6.30 in Geelong and they're a great group that do some fantastic campaigning and actions. Um, Defend and Extend Public Housing are meeting on the steps of Parliament every Thursday from 12 to 1. So these are really opportunities, good opportunities to connect with other people and to build strategies All of the socialist groups are campaigning for public housing and we've got to do our best to make sure that the Greens hold Labor accountable um, because they have the balance of power for the housing bill that Labor wants to put forward, which is disastrous. That's right. Um, We can expand a little bit more on that in our housing program next week. Sarah, did you have anything you wanted to add for listeners? Not at this stage, um, as but I know that the Homes Up Prisons campaign as well as myself really stand in solidarity, you know, with public housing and, and really reinforcing the implementation of public housing and re-diverting any money that's expanding prisons or building prisons to go into community resources and, and public housing. What a great point to end on. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you for having me and it's been a great conversation. Thank you. Likewise. And that was Sarah Stilianos and Catherine Murdoch having a chat with me about some of the ongoing systemic injustices that women face uh, in this country. I did want to say just before we leave that Catherine was kind enough to bring in about 30 Homes Not Prisons posters. So if you'd like one and are able to come and pick one up today from our studios in Fitzroy, give us a call on 94198377. And also if you did want to go and see that documentary that we mentioned at the top of this interview, there is a screening of it tonight at the Sun Theatre, Ballarat Road in Yarraville from 6.30 to 8.45. It's being put on by the Western Homelessness Network and if you'd like to book yourself a ticket, you can search online Humanitics with an X and Western Homelessness Network. It will be followed by a short Q&A session uh, with homelessness workers from out west. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of City Limits for International Women's Day um, and we'll catch you next week, Kevin and myself, for our monthly housing show. Stay tuned to 3CR Community Radio.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.